Okay, today I'm going to talk about urinary tract infections in women. This, if you heard my talk last academic year, I talked about urinary tract infections in women, excluding pregnancy. So now I have the same talk where I've added in the pregnancy part, uh, and it's about two-thirds of the way through when I talk about the pregnancy part. So uh, we're going to do this in two parts, uh, now and then after the next lecturer. And so I'll be coming back, so we'll see how far I get. So. Um, I'm going to present some cases during this, and I may call on some of the uh, residents or students, no, the students, just the residents to help me uh, go through some of the cases, okay? So now we have a, here's a typical patient we might see with urinary tract infection. She's an old lady living at home with her daughter. She has fever and loose stools, and she, uh, she reports some mental slowing, the daughter does. So she has a history of recurrent E. coli UTIs, history of a stroke. Uh, she's not demented though. Here, when, here's her vital signs. Temperature 38, slightly elevated. Pulse, blood pressure, respirations. Pulse ox are all pretty much normal. Doesn't look too sick on paper with the vital signs. Uh, she's alert, answers questions slowly but appropriately, and you can't tell if it's different than usual, but the, the, the daughter says she's just slightly slower than usual. Okay. Uh, exam is otherwise normal. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, and maybe this would be an R3 case, actually. Rashmi. What do you do next? <laughs> okay. We have a, um, what do I do? a woman who is, an old woman lives at home. She has some chronic diseases, and she has an abnormal vital sign that's only a temperature. She doesn't look too sick. Okay. Acute illness. You want to tell me what you're going to do next? Exam is normal. Assume it's done by you did the exam, and you don't find anything, okay. except for the slight mental slowing. Is she going to have a seizure from that temperature? Do you have a seizure? No. Well, the temperature is still okay. She's not complaining. She's uncomfortable. I'm not sure I'd give Tylenol right away. That's if you want to admit her. No, that's I would say if you want to admit her, you don't want to give Tylenol. You I want know, to make her look why. as sick as possible. I know. That's right? why. So you want to the temperature to go up. Okay. Then I would give do you want to get any lab tests or just say yes. she's fine to go home? No, the lab okay. tests get. Does she complain of burning when she urinates? No. Does she, she doesn't self-cath anything? No. And she lives at home, not around other old people? Right, she stays at home and just goes to the doctor's office once in a while. Okay, then, and you know about this recurrent E. coli? So then I yeah, you have that history from UCI records and the daughter says it. Oh, you okay. looked it up. It's not recent, like five months ago she got treatment for And who's e. her primary care doctor? Dr. Avery. Oh, okay. Um, UA. Well, we got a CBC first, okay, but she couldn't urinate for a while, so the CBC okay. is normal. Uh, we got a gram stain. Uh, we we thought we might get an inadequate urine obtained, so someone went right away and did an in-out cap. Okay. Okay. So it's the gram stain, which is probably better than a UA, shows white cells in gram-negative bacilli. Okay. And you also got a chest X-ray and a comprehensive metabolic panel. They're normal. Okay. Okay. So she got a pretty complete workup. What do you think? Sounds like uh, UTI and maybe pylo because she has a fever here, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so you want to admit her or discharge her? She has reli she's reliable. Her daughter's reliable, can bring her back to the doctor. She's a UCI uh, What's her resistance patient. like for the other UCI? Um, it's resistant to ampicillin and Bactrim on the previous one five months ago, okay. for which she got treatment with Keflex and seemed to get over it, but nobody did a test of cure.
So you might consider giving her a dose of an antibiotic in the ED, right. a prescription, and then close fall, maybe even send Dr. Avery a message. That would be if I was looking, yeah. Good, that sounds good. Okay. So now the daughter says to you, but what about her slow thinking? What's causing that? Is it the urinary tract infection? Oh, well, it could be. Old people are weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you'd have to rule out other causes. But it could be from the Have you ruled out every other cause? Huh? You have a chest x-ray, mm -hmm. and that looks okay. But she has a history of a mild stroke. She could have another stroke. Yeah, but the neuro exam is unchanged. Oh, okay. Yeah, the UTI can cause altered. It can? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, but she, it's not from abnormal vital signs, right? I mean, why is she altered? She doesn't appear to be septic. Uh-huh. I could still cause something. Well, i got to go on here because we're running okay. out of time. <laughs> so uh, she uh, she gets admitted. So, so you do a lot of, she had some diarrhea, remember, uh -huh. which doesn't seem to be, she got some cultures here. She got admitted to the hospital to medicine, and she got ceftriaxone. That sounds pretty good, right? So yeah. they're getting all the cultures and treating her for sepsis. Uh, next day, the urine is growing E. coli, sensitive to ceftriaxone, blood culture is negative. Uh, ready to go home soon, probably, right? Stools positive. No. Mm -hmm. Get her ready for discharge now. It's like 23 hours later. Blood cultures are negative. Blood cultures go really fast these days. They have special techniques. You don't have to wait three or four days. So if you have a negative for a rapidly growing pathogen in 23 hours, 24 hours, it's unlikely, it's only like a 5% chance the next day is going to grow anything if it's the one of the regular pathogens, like E. coli or Staph aureus. Ready for discharge? I'm going to say no. But she's still febrile, and now she, her mental status is declining. That's okay. It's okay? No, it's not okay. Okay. Just keep working her out. Uh, another chest x-ray maybe to see if she has pneumonia developing? Uh, belly exam is pretty benign. Oh. There's no abdominal pain. Abdominal CT? Is she a belly pain? No. Oh. So she had an LP on day three uh -huh. showing meningitis. Uh -huh. But so this is a slow growing meningitis. This is listeria. Just sort of show an example oh. of what in an old person or a neonate could have anything causing any symptom. That's tricky. So you got to remember when you just have a patient with urosepsis, an old person or an infant with something like that, to make sure you check for unusual things because uh, you know, listeria meningitis or whether it's abdominal abscess or a cold pneumonia could be could mimic it. In fact, I had a patient a few years ago, a young healthy female except for having diabetes, who was diagnosed by a doctor as having uh, urosepsis on the basis of uh, fever, vomiting, flank pain flank tenderness bilaterally with abnormal UA, uh, with no, no cultures were back yet. And it actually meningococcemia, diagnosed in a few hours later when the rash started. So uh, you gotta be careful that your diagnosis is correct and your urinalysis can lead you astray as well as the urine culture because maybe their urine analysis is nonspecific or the urine culture is abnormal with a pathogen because they're colonized, which is very common in many of their elderly patients. So let's go to the other extreme now. We Sorry, have a Dr. Burns, so yeah. that patient should have gotten an LP in the no, ER, is that what you're saying? No, that's a very unusual case. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you, you, you could have a pretty, you just watch out. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the patient, luckily the ceftriaxone doesn't treat listeria, so she's mm -hmm. going to get worse. If it suppressed, like meningococcemia, you probably would st have stopped it at two days and discharged her on Keflex, and she'd come back with worsening like pneumococcal or meningococcal meningitis. That's an unusual case. So remember in old people and neonates that, uh, you got to be careful, and uh, the, the symptoms are so nonspecific. 
that uh, altered mental status in either of those could be from any infection anywhere or not an infection. But, but it's common for in the elderly to have a UTI and have a little bit of mental slowing or mental confusion as part of the infection, even if the vital signs are normal. They'd probably have to have polynephritis. No, well, they that would be unusual. They should have. They could have hypothermia, tachycardia. There should have other signs of it. So we often. That's what he's saying. We often attribute it to that when it's something else. Okay, or not an infection at all. Maybe it's their BUN or it's higher. The sodium's low, causing their altered mental status, and then they have this urinary infection too. So let me go on to the, this is the opposite. Now we have a patient who gets a urinalysis. A healthy female gets a urinalysis she didn't need, ordered by the nurse because the doctor wanted a urine pregnancy test before you get a pelvic x-ray that the patient didn't need because the patient demanded it, and the urinalysis is abnormal. You can see the patient has no symptoms or signs of a UTI. It's completely healthy. And the urine nurse sent this by mistake when she just wanted a UCG, and there's, the, there's some white cells, bacteria for high power field, all else negative, leukocytesterase is slightly positive. So what's your next step? You Would you even tell the patient she even had this? No. No, I probably wouldn't. This is yeah. like normal. So you would ignore this completely. Yeah. Okay, I wouldn't even mention it. So the question is, she has pyuria. What if she had 50 or 60 instead of 10 to 12? Asymptomatic, healthy person? Does that mean anything? Absolutely not. You shouldn't pursue it if they have no symptoms or signs, except for two indications. They're pregnant, possibly they're pregnant, or they've had a renal transplant in the past six months. That's about it. Otherwise, you should just ignore it, okay? You may or may not need to do a urine culture. Probably shouldn't in this kind of a case. So that's the other extreme. So this is a common problem in our ED. I see this all the time. It's asymptomatic bacteria defined as a positive urine culture, not on a UA, uh, being treated in an asymptomatic person, especially in, in catheters. Have chronic catheters always get colonized. So. Whether they have pyuria it makes no difference in whether they really have a urinary tract infection. Okay? Pyuria is very nonspecific. In fact, a lot of people who have pyuria, uh, symptomatic, well, usually asymptomatic, have a negative urine culture. And it's not from an infection that they have the pyuria. There's inflammation maybe, maybe it's vaginal secretions, who knows. So we rarely ever would be concerned about asymptomatic bacteria defined as a positive urine culture, not a UA abnormality. So, uh, in the University of Washington, uh, they did a, a study back published in 2000 in which they looked at sexually active non-pregnant females. They're usually college students at the University of Washington or employees who uh, were all reliable, had insurance. And they followed them um, for uh, like a year or two or six months and they kept, kept logs. The patients kept logs of when they got symptoms or when they went to a doctor or when they got an antibiotic. And a lot of women who never got any symptoms at all uh, develop bacteria defined as a positive urine culture for a known pathogen over 10 to the fifth per ml. Uh, at any one time, five, one out of 20 women had this. Uh, and 22% of them had it over six months, and it came and went. It wasn't like there was one person having it all the time and not another having it. And when they correlated this with the symptomatic UTIs during the six months, it had no relationship to whether they had the bacteria a week or a, a month earlier. Okay? So this is, it's common, especially for women, uh, and actually, this is this is girls too. Uh, to have personal experience, right? No. Now. Okay. Question. <laughs> <laughs> Say the patient um, complains of everything that sounds like a UTI, but then the UA is negative. Would you treat it? I want to go into that later. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> so, so somebody actually has a positive, let's say, a urine culture from two days earlier. You see him in the ED, 
and they don't have any symptoms or signs of a UTI, upper or lower. Uh, there's abundant evidence in favor of treating if they're pregnant. Uh, if they are about to go on a invasive, undergo an invasive urologic procedure, that's usually something you're not doing in the ED, right? And then, or if they just had a kidney transplant in the past 12 months. In fact, if you had over 12 months, it makes no difference, and it's recommended not to do any treatment. Um, this is assuming there's a culture back, okay? So uh, consider treatment if they're obstructed and have no symptoms and persistent bacteria after you pulled the Foley catheter out. Okay, but I generally disagree with that part. So this is the general uh, consensus is that you don't, you should never treat uh, uh, asymptomatic bacteria, you know, E. coli in urine over 10 to the fifth, if the patient has no symptoms or signs unless uh, they have one of those two things I mentioned, mainly the renal transplant or the pregnancy, okay? Just ignore it. You just consider it normal. You didn't even tell the patient, probably. You can give them their lab test to take to their doctor, maybe. So uh, it's been shown pretty clearly that even the ones who have spinal cord injury, they're diabetic on insulin, they're elderly, uh, whether they're pregnant or not, or have a catheter, it makes no difference in their outcome later over the next year or two. In fact, they have a higher rate of, a of illness if you treat them because they get adverse reactions to the antibiotic. And also there's people who have died of Clostridium difficile colitis who got uh, antibiotic for, for a asymptomatic bacteria and they never needed it. They have actually died of the treatment. That's been reported. It's not actually very common. Uh, I'm going to skip some of this here. Uh, so uh, the elderly have a high rate of this. In fact, in women over the age of 70, you're going to see it in up to 50% of, of women will grow a pathogen E. coli, for example, out of the urine in the absence of symptoms, and you shouldn't really do anything about it. Men, it's actually higher as you get older. At uh, the men go up to like when you're 85 or 90, and they get prostate problems, they even have a higher rate. So you shouldn't really ignore that. You might get a culture again and follow it, but uh, you shouldn't really be treating them. So here we go into a, uh, another kind of a case. Uh, let's. Uh, do this, let's pick another resident. Uh, Guess, real quick. Yeah. So what if someone's not able to communicate that they have like burning when they urinate and um, you, those results come back? And, you know, yeah, when so you decide, you'd uh, have to do a careful history and physical for other signs of infection. Okay. So, well, why are they in the ED? They must have a complaint, right? Yeah. So unless it's like a broken bone or something. Well, I'd think maybe if it's like they had a stroke and they had like, you know, yeah, I, I would probably consider their stroke as their main problem, and yeah. you wouldn't really treat that. Especially if you're admitting them and you give them an antibiotic they don't need, they're going to likely get presumed difficile or get colonized with acinetobacter, so you're better off not giving an antibiotic and just following it. So here we have uh, a patient uh, who is uh, presents with something that you might think would be acute cystitis, acute dysuria in young women. She's healthy, 32, sexually active. She reports hematuria. Does that have any benefit in helping you make a diagnosis? Hematuria. Uh, no recent UTIs, uh, antibiotic use, or vaginal bleeding, no recent hospitalizations, a single sexual partner. Uh, we don't know who else this here sexual partner has been having sex with, though. Uh, exam is normal except for slight superficial tender. She's not pregnant. And there's her UA. And what do you think of that UA? How about Sharon? Um, she's got some red and some whites. Um, pretty much a pretty clean patch. But no bacteria. Right. And, um, so she could have several different things involving the genitourinary tract, but the hematuria is really in favor of something, right? Mm -hmm. What? Could be a kidney stone. Could no. Be a, uh, 
Yes, so it's in favor of a UTI, having the red cells with the white cells. Oh, okay. It's against it being a gynecological problem, okay, unless you're having vaginal bleeding at the same time. So that really in favor, I'll show you more in another slide. So she, she would know anything else? She's a healthy young female, looked like she only has lower track signs. Do you want to do any lab tests other than the UA and the UCG you've already done? I don't think so. I mean, if she's having lower, a lot of lower abdominal tenders, yeah, it's a bit more exam to yeah. see because she could have PID. See if she has like discharge or. Right. Yeah. And so uh, let's say you did that, that was negative. You might not even screen for uh, GC and chlamydia in a, in a, let's say, a 32 year old as opposed to an 18 year old who has one partner. It's probably not recommended to screen them, although you might in RED, but uh, you probably don't need any other tests, right? What about a urine culture? Um, I would. She hasn't been on she hasn't failed an antibiotic okay, lately. No. So the answer is you shouldn't do a culture. And then what do you want to treat her with? Um, so I don't know what our resistance for Cipro is, but I'm um, gonna have a slide of that in a few minutes. <laughs> so let's go on to uh, this is acute cyst uncomplicated cystitis. So they have all the symptoms of a lower UTI, but they can't have fever or history of fever or chills. Uh, they shouldn't have vomiting unless you thought they vomited once from something else, like gagging themselves or something. They, the symptoms have to be less than seven days, otherwise it's complicated, and it means there could be a higher chance of what we call subclinical pylo, which means there's no symptoms or signs of pylo, but there's a higher rate of having the bacteria actually in the real pelvis without symptoms or signs. They can have little low back pain and suprapubic pain and tenderness, but they don't have CVA or flank pain. It's like low back pressure or something, but you don't have any of those upper signs. Okay, so this is uh, this patient has this type of a syndrome, right? Acute, uncomplicated cystitis, and you could treat them with a with a low with a uh, a short course of therapy. Here's the differential diagnosis, though, of acute dysuria. Okay, it could be cystitis, vaginitis. Some of these you can tell by the history and physical. Cervicitis, GC. You might see. I mean. Uh, Herpes simplex, you'd expect in an exam. The patient might complain of lots of pain and lesions. Some I've seen some people might complain of it, but they know they're there. When you look, you see painful ulcers. That could point to genital herpes causing the symptoms. You could have PID, other STDs, acute urethritis with an STD without having PID. And you can even get irritant allergic urethritis and occult UTI or subclinical pylo. And there are certain ways to differentiate some of these from the others based on the history and physical. Uh, what favors a UTI versus what favors an STD or vaginitis? So uh, there's internal external dysuria. I don't know, since I'm not a female, it's hard for me to tell what that means, but I guess uh, <laughs> external, it means like the, the urine burns as it comes over the labia or the vulvar area more than internal, like in the urinary trigone, like it's internal. That's more of a UTI. But if you have a lot of red cells, that's really in favor of a UTI. In fact, you could have a thousand red cells. That's really in favor of cystitis, hemorrhagic cystitis. That means nothing more. It's the same out, uh, outcome and with treatment uh, with, as you have with no red cells. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, now, if you had kidney stone history and you have flank pain, it might be something different. But even with pilo, you can get a lot of red cells, and you usually never find a stone when you investigate those people. So uh, gradual onset would favor having STD or, or vaginitis. And uh, also, there's a difference between the urine. You only have slight frequency or urgency. Uh, with STD. You have dysuria, but you don't feel like you go all the time with STDs. Whereas with acute with acute cystitis, you feel like you have to go every 30 minutes and empty your bladder and not much comes out, right? 
So this is what we want to do for treatment. Uh, it's still acceptable for this woman to get single dose therapy. Uh, single dose uh, therapy and three day therapy is what we usually use, but there's only a slight benefit to three day therapy. It's a, the cure rate may be a few percent higher. And it's felt by some people that the, the reason three days works better than single dose of a longer acting agent is that you're actually curing some people with subclinical pilo with that three days. So these are the acceptable treatments for uh, single-dose therapy. There's only four or the same classes, we do the same classes. So genomycin, or you can give genomycin IM in the ED at 80 milligrams. If somebody, you don't think you're going to fill a prescription, they have no money, uh, that, that'll actually stay in your urine for a week. That'll cure, uh, that'll cure cystitis, okay? As good as taking a week of, of three days of treatment. Uh, you can, if you have uh, if an area of the country that's low resistance to Bactrim, unlike our area, you can give two double strengths uh, of Bactrim in the ED, two double strengths. You can also give levofloxacin, but probably not Cipro or Ofloxacin because they're too short acting to do single dose treatment. So you can do the one dose of levo and phosphomycin is a drug on the market, sort of expensive. I don't think we have it on the formula at UCI, but you could write a prescription for one gram, take once and it lasts for like two days in your body. Uh, but it's more expensive. Uh, now three-day therapy is what we usually use, so fluoroquinolone at low dose, um, or Bactrim if you think it's sensitive to that, but no other treatment works well for three days. All the other ones, if you're gonna give them Keflex, Amoxicillin, um, Clavion, which is Augmentin, or Nitrofurantoin, you have to do it for five to seven. This doesn't work very well. It does work in some patients, but it doesn't work as well as in all the patients. What's the next dose of the gentamicin? The max? Because um, you said 80 milligrams, right? I know. I wrote this in here thinking that you're not going to give the low dose that I would tell you. But um, we, in the old days, we used to give people 40 milligrams of IM genomycin. It's like hard to measure. It's like half a half a ml, and that would cure them. Because it's so it's concentrated hundreds of times in the urine. If you suspect subclinical pilo, and I'll tell you the, re the reason why you might suspect it, there's no benefit. So if you compare three days to seven days in this kind of a patient, there's no difference in cure. Okay. So what is subclinical pyelonephritis? And there are risk factors for that. I'm going to show you what they are. So some people have this that we're seeing with cystitis. So then you need a longer course of therapy. Can you name any... Uh, what are the causes of subclinical pilo? So you su when do you suspect it? Patient has all the signs only of a lower tract infection, but what are the clinical characteristics or history that would suggest it's subclinical pilo? I mentioned one was longer than seven days of cystitis symptoms. Vomiting. Anything else? Vomiting. No. Fever means it's pilo. This is subclinical pilo. I don't have any symptoms. It's more of a history. Diabetes. Diabetes. Pregnancy. Anything else? Here's some of the risk factors. Diabetes, pregnancy, symptoms over seven days. You, have a no, you already have a known anatomical problem in your, in your urinary tract, like they had surgery from Dr. Clayman two years ago to correct some something, and they, they still have some anatomic abnormality. Uh, if they have a neurogenic bladder, avoiding abnormalities. Kidney, if they have kidney stones, but no symptoms of the stones at the time. 
uh, they're obstructed, polycystic, sickle cell, renal transplant, immunosuppressed. So those people should not ever be treated within one or two, one or three days of treatment. It's always longer. It's felt like arbitrarily give them seven days. Okay. So they treat them for seven days. This is if patients look like they have cystitis, you're treating them for seven days because they think they have subclinical pyelope. Now here's our E. coli our isolates from our ED and what the sensitivities are. These are just from E. coli in our ED. They're mostly urine, but a few are blood. A patient's got to admit it. It's hard to distinguish them when I check with the laboratory. I don't have the 2009 up here, but I'll tell you that the only differences are that, I want to first of all, ampicillin at the bottom. So ampicillin in 2009 is about the same. This is the percent susceptible. That means about 60% are, res are resistant, okay? So that wouldn't be a good choice to give ampicillin or moxicillin, unless you're at a urinoculture a few days earlier. It's something we do for the clinic, like showing intercoccus, or they can do that. Bactrim, it's about 40% uh, resistance, and the 2009 is about the same. It hasn't changed much. Cefazolin hasn't changed from to 2009 to 2007. So it's about 85% are sensitive to cefazolin. Cefotaxime's actually gone up to 100% like it was back in 2005. 100% of our isolates of E. coli are sensitive to cefotaxime or ceftriaxone. And Cipro and Levo, it's about the same as 2009 as it was in 2007. So we see about, uh, it's gone down, it's about what it is in 2007. So we see about 60, uh, I think it's about 72% sensitive. Okay. This is all comers coming to the ED that grow E. coli from the urine. And then genomycin actually gone up in 2009 to 90% from about 85%. And then meropenem, 100%. Piptazo, it's not on here, that's 95%. So that's pretty good too. Okay. So when should you get a uriculture in somebody, a woman you think has cystitis? Why, first of all, you, if you have someone with cystitis, and you think they have subclinical pylo, you should obtain a urine culture just like you would for pylo. Okay, get a urine culture, but you don't need it for the other, other patients. So uh, essentially that, that would say, if you remember that, it says everything on this slide. So if they don't, don't obtain urine cultures on most women you see with acute cystitis. It's just a waste of money. So let's discuss uh, pyuria. And there's no relationship to infection. In the, because you can have uh, pyuria, and have pneumonia or something. You could have pyuria and have a broken leg. It doesn't matter. So what's normal pyuria though? Uh, everybody has uh, white cells in their urine. If you look over a 24-hour collection, it's like millions. But on a UA, it said that up, you could have up to 10 per high-power field in centrifuge urine. But there's an overlap with abnormal, the ones who grow something, a pathogen in the presence of symptoms, you can actually be down to 4 to 10, Okay, especially if it's very dilute urine. So, but anything under like three or four, pretty much rules out a symptomatic UTI. Unless a few, there's a couple things though. If the urine sits around at room temperature for an hour or two, maybe two or three hours, like if they got it, gave it a triage, and you decide three hours later to send that urine, it's been at room temperature uh, for, for culture, and it's a few hours old, the white cells degenerate, and they could be zero. But the leukocyte esterase goes up. That's a degenerative product of the white cells, so that would be a clue. You can, you can have a high three plus leukocyte esterase, 
zero to two white cells, and that's still the same as having an infection, especially if you thought the urine was not freshly obtained. Uh, so, in a, but in research studies where the patients get the, the urine obtained by a research nurse, sent right to the lab and looked at it by a skilled microtech, everybody with a symptomatic infection has pyuria. Over, over three, usually over 10, depending on this, the dilution of the urine. So when you have no white cells and no leukocyte esterase, you've ruled out an infection causing your symptoms. Now you could still have asymptomatic bacteria. You could get a urine culture back growing E. coli and they're one of those asymptomatic people, okay? Uh, so the biggest problem is that you have, if you have a classic case of a UTI in a young woman, so it can't be anything else, which you usually write on your history and physical, um, and you have no whites and no, no white cells in the urine, the most likely problem is you have the wrong urinalysis. Something's wrong with the test, okay? Your clinical sim symptom signs and your judgment points to a UTI in the, in the lab. lab. There's a lab error. So you should always repeat it instead of going for other diseases. Unless you're looking at old people, young, young uh, or babies, which might have more things. So pyuria is also, so if we have pyuria, it doesn't mean you have a UTI. A lot of the urine cultures are negative in people with pyuria. Uh, so he said, here's, a, here's another patient. We're going higher up in the urinary tract. Now we have pyelonephritis. A healthy woman who has four days of lower tract symptoms, now followed by some upper tract symptoms. Left flank pain, nausea, and fever. She's had no recent antibiotics, been on hospitals at all to promote resistant organisms. No use of IV drugs. She has a low-grade fever. She has left CVA tenderness, no abdominal tenderness. She doesn't look particularly ill. Okay. Uh, her urine, there's a urinalysis. What do you think? It's a true case. I actually had this patient you know, three or four years ago. So what do you think of that urinalysis? Any takers? Say about Randy. What do you think? Civic gravity's uh, it's not too dilute, right? And the white cells are low. Okay, so it looks pretty normal, right? So, uh, so you go back to the patient now, you get the urine back, you go back and examine her, talk to her again. It sounds like a classic case of pyelo. I don't think I'm missing appendicitis, diverticulitis, abscess. It seems like this must be pyelo. What's your next step? Get a CAT scan, look for a, get an x-ray, look for lower level pneumonia on that side. Repeat the urinalysis. Or, yeah, and I've done this many times and now it's positive because there's something wrong with it. There's a lab error or the nurse sent the wrong urine. This is a true case where the, uh, uh, well the, the patient repeated the urine an hour later and it's very abnormal. And if you have to do that sometime, I'd recommend that you add to your urinalysis a stat urine gram stain because that's like going to another lab, the micro lab. They're also checking for white cells and bacteria. So if they were both negative on the repeat, I would say it's not a UTI and I'm wrong in my clinical judgment. But the first thing is not to look for other things, is to repeat the test. Because the test doesn't, doesn't give you the answer. Your clinical judgment really tells you what the diagnosis is. And if your tests don't meet it, maybe your tests are wrong. So with pylo, this is what uncomplicated pylo occurs in young women. If they, once they get to be old women or their adolescents or children, it's not considered uncomplicated. It's considered complicated pylo, which may require more aggressive treatment and evaluation. So you may not have any lower tract symptoms with pyelonephritis. You may have only upper tract, or you may have lots of lower tract with it. But you don't have to have any, you don't have to have all these things to have pylo. You can have one or more. 
So vomiting, I think nausea is too nonspecific, but if you vomit, vomited once or twice, you don't get that from cystitis. You just have chills. If you have fever and chills and no nausea, vomiting, or flank pain, no CBA tenders, that's still pile up. If you didn't treat the patient for several days, you'd probably get all those in a couple days. Uh, it's important to remember you can actually have atypical symptoms uh, that can obscure the diagnosis. So they have pylo, but it's presenting with diffuse abdominal pain, or it's usually on one side, and they're tender, deep tenderness on the abdomen on one side, respiratory complaints, it could be coughing sometime or have shortness of breath, or diffuse pelvic pain. That could still be pylo, but it could be other things. Uh, here's a differential diagnosis of acute uncomplicated pylo in assuming it's a young, healthy woman who's like 24 or something, is they can have PID, appendicitis, kidney stones, or basal pneumonia. Don't forget that one. Looks, you, look, you look really stupid when you miss pneumonia and diagnose pyelonephritis or appendicitis or something like that. Uh, and pancreatitis or renal abscess, so that's the main, main thing. Some of those are pretty rare. So the next step in this patient was re we repeated the urinalysis and uh, it showed lots of abnormalities. You could see a lot of 120. This is like repeated an hour later. So there, we never could figure this out. Did the, the your nurse send the wrong patient's urine to the lab and label it wrong? No, we don't, we'd never know. Or it was a lab error. They spilled it on the floor and they didn't admit to it or something in the laboratory. You never even know. So then this happens, though, at our hospital. Uh, so let's say uh, that's all we did was, let's say the first time this urine came back that way, and so we have a UCG that's negative, a urine analysis consistent with UTI, and she has classic symptoms or signs of pylo, but doesn't look very sick. There's no indication for blood tests on the average patient. They don't tell you anything about the prognosis or the benefits of treatment. So you don't need a white count. You don't need a BN or creatinine or potassium. Now, if she looks really sick, that's something different. But most women don't look that sick. They're healthy. They do really well without blood tests. No blood cultures are needed, as long as you make sure you got a good urine culture obtained. Even if they need IV fluids, it doesn't mean you have to get blood tests. You could sort of predict what they're going to show. The white count's going to be 15,000 with a left shift. The VUN could be slightly high. It doesn't mean any difference about whether you need admission or not for a healthy young woman with a complicated pilot. So you don't have to have an IV line. You could actually give them intramuscular ceftriaxone for the last 24 hours. So they vomit a few times after they leave. It probably doesn't matter. So when should you admit somebody to the hospital for pilot? And it should be quite uncommon you need to do this. Uh, if they have repeated vomiting, uh, it could be in shock and sepsis. If they're really sick for a long period of time, they more likely have an abscess, but now you can image anybody so you can rule out an abscess while they're in the ED. Um, if, they don't, if they're not getting better in appropriate antimicrobial aging, you might have resistance, so you might want to admit them because you might need to treat them with broad spectrum agents. Diabetics may or may not need admission. It's commonly said you should, but there are some that you might be able to discharge with good follow-up. Men. It used to be said you have to admit any man with pylo because they usually have an obstruction, but now we can rule out obstruction in the ED with ultrasound or CT urogram, right? So you probably don't need to. Um, also, if they have lots of antibiotic allergies or uh, adverse reactions, you might want to admit them because you're not quite sure what they're going to get. So there are many observational studies and randomized controlled trials, so you can, with uncomplicated pylo in women, um, there are too many in men because there are too many men with pilot, but uncomplicated pilot women, outpatient treatment of people with fever, vomiting, they don't have any bad outcome. Now, if they're unreliable and psychotic, that might be different. You might not be able to find them, so you might be better off admitting them. I have a question. Yeah. What if they have a, like a kidney stone and then defecate? So let's say you've imaged them and you see a ureteral. Yeah. So it's like a maybe it infected stone. It has to be obstructing the ureter to be significant. Okay. So right. a lot of women are, will have that. If it's in the kidney, 
It doesn't affect your treatment of the pilot. But now the kidney stone could be infected. You can't cure that with antibiotics. All you do is suppress the infection later. So you could discharge them. But if they have an obstruction, uh, they, you probably should consult a urologist because uh, they probably need relief of the obstruction. How much so? Is it like mild hydro, moderate hydro? If it's in the urine at all, I would call the urologist. They might say discharge, but uh, if it's in the kidney, I wouldn't worry about it. In the real pelvis, not causing uh, uh, a dilated calyces, I wouldn't worry about it. That it could be an infected stone, but it's, you could chronically suppress it with antibiotics. Yes? I, I actually curbside the urology and asked them that because I had a guy who apparently had bumped up and there was a stone and stuff, but basically they asked me, is he diabetic, he had fevers, and how does he look? And if those are okay, like they're like, it's okay. Oh, but that patient had a pilo? Yeah. They didn't have fevers? They had vomiting? Uh, vomiting. Okay, that could be from the stone. I could. You're not sure. So uh, that's probably right. Okay, but get a culture. So what if you're going to give somebody outpatient treatment for pilo? So you decided you're going to discharge this lady or somebody. You could have given IV, IV uh, fluids to them and get CBCs. And all. You decide you're going to discharge them because they're reliable and they can follow up in the clinic. Uh, what are you going to treat them with? At UCI and in general, and especially at UCI, our drugs of choice would be, I would recommend that every one of them get antibody in the ED, although it's not proven actually needed for uncomplicated pilot. You can just give them a prescription, but you don't know if they're going to fill it. So it's probably better to give them one in the ED. It still could be oral, but we, I would recommend probably giving them uh, the, a parenteral agent, which would be IM or IV, ceftriaxone, because it lasts a long time. You could also give them an aminoglycoside if they're allergic to penicillins because also it'll last 24 to 72 hours in the urine. So if they vomit a few times in the next 24 hours, you're covered because they got high blood levels of antibiotic. So uh, let's say you give them an injection of ceftriaxone, one gram usually, or it's gonna be two grams IM depending on their, their size. Or you could give it IV if you have a IV already going, one gram. So then what do you discharge them on at UCI? What do you think the most likely inexpensive antibiotic is? Do you want to give them Cifero, which is generic, or Keflex, that's the main thing. Um, as you saw from that, that graph, uh, we have a higher rate of Keflex susceptibility, which is the same as Cefazolin, than we do of the Cipro. So you're better off discharging on Keflex, um, with the Cipro being an uh, alternative. And you probably wouldn't give them uh, Levo, because it's more expensive. If they had insurance, maybe that's fine, Blue Cross, but the average patient, Cipro, at low dose, like 250 BID is fine, or it could be a 500 BID. For Keflex, it be 500 milligrams four times a day. They don't need to start until the next day because they got the ceftriaxone. These other ones, actually, Ceftonir, OmniCef, is actually generic and it's fairly inexpensive. It's not on the $4 list, but if you suspect, well, they might have some resistance to this Keflex, this is like an oral third-generation cephalosporin. I've given that to some people and they haven't it's pretty cheap at the pharmacies. It's like moderate cost, so it might be 25 bucks for 10 days, like Augmentin or Clindamycin are, or a little bit less than that. So it's not that expensive, and it's actually covered by Calopin for some mutations. These other ones are also fairly, there's also, this one is also generic. We don't have that on our formula at UCI, though. You also give a second generation. We'll usually give the Keflex, but you might consider giving, if you're worried about resistance, to give the, the Ceftonir, which is generic Omnicef, twice a day. And then oral clinolones don't use moxifloxacin, which we don't use in UCI, but do other places because it gets poor urine concentration. Um, d but don't give them nitrofurantoin because it doesn't work for pilo. It works for lower UTIs. It has no good concentrations in the kidney. And always get a urine culture 
and uh, you don't need any blood tests unless they're indicated by other by other clinical symptoms or signs, or if they're immunosuppressed or diabetic, it might be different. Treat them for 14 days, seven to 14, it's not clear what. With the quinolone, cipro-sensitive organism, you can get away with seven, but no other drug has been studied for seven days. So you're giving Keflex probably 10 days, who's gonna take an antibiotic anyway for 14? So it might be indicated for 14, but I'd probably do it for 10, because they might be more likely to take it. Now, uh, you should always have them call back for the culture result. I can, um, I can stop in a second. Okay. okay. Um, in, so you're, let's say you decide to admit the patient, though. You're admitting the patient to, uh, to medicine or family medicine, so they're not a pregnant woman here. Um, uh, you're supposed to, you should give them cefotaxime, which is what we use for formula instead of ceftriaxone, an aminoglycoside or a fluoroquinolone. And again, the fluoroquinolones might be resistant. So you have a sick patient being admitted, you probably shouldn't do that alone. So I wouldn't recommend it. So a very sick patient at UCI being admitted, you suspect gyrosepsis. You can consider meropenem or piptazo. It's easier for you to write for piptazo because it's not restricted. It covers lots of resistant organisms. So I'd probably say for practical purposes to give piptazo. And you may give vancomycin. Rarely, if you got a gram stain showing gram-positive cocci, which can be resistant enterococcus or MS, MRSA, I've seen in the urine, but routinely I wouldn't give vancomycin unless a gram stain showed the organism of gram-positives. So pip, remember to piptazo generally for the sick people being admitted. In serious penicillinology, you probably should call the ID fellow for advice, but you could give it aminoglycoside or S3&M. Mike? Yeah? Right there at the top, is that A or B or C, or is it A and B or C? This? Yeah, you give them or one, or one or it's only one antibiotic. Yeah. Piperacillin, tazobactam, zosin. Zosin, right. And uh, I'm almost done with this section, then we'll stop and I'll do the rest later. But follow up. So now you're discharging a person with, what if you're discharging that woman with cystitis? You gave her uh, three days of uh, Cipro and you're not doing urine culture or seven days of Keflex, what did it matter? She's per perfectly healthy, she's not psychotic or homeless or anything like that. Um, <laughs> or you don't, you don't need to, this is cystitis. There's no reason for them to have any urgent follow-up. It's a waste of medical resources to have her say, you must see your doctor in a week or tomorrow or, or call your doctor right away. It's irrelevant, they have such a minor illness. They should make appointment for regular care, but there's no reason to go in right away because you don't need to follow up any of the uh, any of the urinalysis, you didn't get a urine culture, right? There's no, if you got a urine culture, it might be different. If you didn't get a urine culture, there's no reason to follow up for a test for cure for a urinalysis. So obviously if she's not getting better, you could tell her, come back to the ED or call your doctor right away, but there's no reason to have routine care urgently for that. Now what about pilo? You're discharging a patient with pilo who's a healthy person, let's say a young adult, four-year-old female, who has a doctor that you can identify here or somewhere else and seems reliable, uh, they should have a follow-up appointment, but they don't need one in one day if, because there's a problem. You could hurt the patient by having them see the, actually, if they see their doctor in a day, it could hurt the patient. This is because you gave them ceftriaxone, which treats about everything there is, right? Now you give them a prescription for Keflex, so they're better the next day. And they're on the Kef, then the doctor sees, oh, you're better, your culture's not back yet. See, uh, see me in a month if you're still sick, or let's go, but they're naturally, they get the Keflex and they get a little worse and worse gradually because their pilo's not, sensitive to that. So you're better off having to have an appointment in several days, like three days, than one day. If you think they need to be seen in a day, you should keep them in the ED for an observation. Because that means they're really sick. You're a bacteremia.
and the medical system cannot handle one-day appointments. It's just overloading us. You don't want non-sick people to see their doctor in a day when the sick people can't get in. Um, I'm gonna. St I think I'll stop there, and I'll go on to pregnancy when it's in the second part. What's your thoughts on basil? Uh, it may. It doesn't kill the bacteria, but it makes you feel better. I don't. Pres we don't prescribe it here much. What? Azo, yeah, no. Peridium. Or it's a, there's an agent over the counter that can buy with similar. Oh yeah, peridium is not the same as the azo. But you can get you could get peridium for cystitis. But it, you have to have the symptoms of dysuria. If you have that, you give it like uh, 200 milligrams BID, PRN, dysuria, or TID maybe for like two or three days until they're better. Yeah, I, I, I would prescribe it. But I believe that for patients' comfort, we should we should reduce the symptoms of frequency urgency dysuria if they're symptomatic. Yeah. And I once had a senior emergency medicine resident that said any male emergency physician who treats a symptomatic female UTI without iridium should be shot. <laughs> because that's very distressing, and apparently, yeah. But just because they have cystitis, if they don't have the acute dysuria urgent frequency, right. if it's minor or they have like pilo with flank pain instead, but they don't really need it for that. Yeah. Okay. But you can, and, and of course you have to make it clear that just because the peridium treats the symptoms and makes them feel better doesn't mean they shouldn't take that. And yeah. tell them it changes their yeah. urine color. Yeah. The, yeah. Pharmacy, the pharmacist orange. tells them that, yeah. though. Turns your urine orange, and if you have heart contact lines, you can say it's orange. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Okay, so 